Yeah, thank you, worship team, for leading us today. All right, well, this week's Advent theme, as we talked about, is peace, um, which is a really interesting thing for me to uh, speak on, by the way, because I really struggle and wrestle sometimes with anxiety, like big time. Like seriously, sometimes the anxiety level for me is so high that I wake up in the morning just flooded with thoughts of everything that I've got to do and everything that I'm behind on and everything that might possibly go wrong. I can be that kind of guy sometimes. Anybody else relate to this? Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone, right? Um, The cool thing is that God has been at work to teach me how to find peace in the middle of storms and worries and confusion and in doubt. And I'm really grateful for the ways that he is shaping and growing and transforming me. And I'm not where I'd love to be in that arena especially, but I can look back at how much worse it used to be for me. And so for those things, it can be encouraging because sometimes I do see some progress. And I mention this because um, those of you that also deal with anxiety um, and think it might never get better, like, I'm proof that there can be some change, some growth. And again, I have a long ways to go, but, but I'm grateful for how the Father is helping me to live in peace more of the time, not all the time, but more of the time than I had ever thought possible. And one of my all-time favorite scriptures has to do with anxiety and peace. Uh, to me, it's really my all-time favorite invitation And it's out of the book of Philippians. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I love this verse. And in fact, I used to kind of read it as like this, okay, this is the way you should act, Doug. This is, so it felt like pressure and maybe guilt when I didn't do it or couldn't do it. And if you wear that verse that way, take that off because this is simply a kind invitation from the Father that wants to invite you into something, not to pressure you, which never helps us get rid of anxiety. He's inviting us. That's his heart for us. And I need to hear that verse again and again. I need to be reminded by God, Doug, that's okay, don't be anxious. You can, you can walk with God. Like, you can pour your heart out to him. You can tell God what's going on. You can remember the good things that he's done and his peace, peace that doesn't make sense to have because you look around and everything looks bleak, but that peace will guard your heart and mind. And I love the word guard in the scripture there. In fact, that's what really jumped out at me when I finally did a little more study. Um, what are some other words for guard? Anybody? Just protect. protect. What else? Hedge. Yeah. A couple more. Cover. Shield. Good. That's, there's some good stuff there, right? Now, um, in the Greek, that peace word is actually... Um, I'm sorry, I think it's the Greek word, right? Sorry. That Greek word for um, to protect, to guard, is actually a military word. So it's an active protecting. A, A military type word is what they used that we translated there. It's not a passive deal. So... When we read this verse and we think about peace, we don't just kind of go passive and suddenly experience peace, right? This word gives us an indication that sometimes the peace has to be fought for. And then it says, in that peace, in God's peace, it will guard our heart and mind in Jesus. And again, that's important. It guards us in Jesus. See, right? This is the Jesus who came to fight for you, to fight for your and my peace, 
But with Jesus, we know it was not a passive thing, right? The fight that he fought to guard our hearts and minds cost him something. So this week, as we move into the Advent season, and with that as a setup, um, I want to read the Christmas story, right? We usually do this a little later in the year, but I want to read from Luke chapter 2 to set up the story and remind us of what the story is. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to his town to register. So Joseph also went from up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Then the angels had left them and gone into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That's a really sweet story, isn't it? Right? Like every year growing up my family, we would read that story um, Christmas Eve right before we opened our Christmas presents. So when you hear that story, that, that just familiar Christmas story, what, what are the kind of words come to mind when you hear about the story of the birth of Christ in the little town of Bethlehem? Just... What kind of words come to mind when you hear that? It's a miracle. Excitement. Joy. Hope. Anticipation. See, it's a beautiful story, right? It kind of inspires me. I hear this story and I get inspired. I kind of want to snuggle up with my family on the couch and get some hot chocolate going, you know, sing some Christmas carols, you know, in keeping with our Advent theme for this week. It's very, you know, peaceful, no? Right? But that's not the whole story, right? See, there is something else going on in the story of Christmas. There are other pieces of the story, pieces that we do leave out. When we read the story on Christmas Eve with our mug of cocoa or cider, um, in Matthew 2, we read about how the arrival of this baby freaks out King Herod. Now, keep in mind, many of us have a nativity set, and, and, and around the nativity set we put, you know, the three wise men, We could talk more about all of that. But um, if you notice how we've set it up here, the nativity's over here, the wise men are over here. Does anybody know why? 
It was a couple years before they showed up, right? So they weren't at the manger. They showed up there. But again, it is a part of the Christmas story. And verse 1, Matthew 2, we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to King Herod, he was the king, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars, by the way, other translations say sorcerers, magi, right? It's a different topic, right? But he arranged a meeting with them, and pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, go find this child, leave no stone unturned, and as soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in worship. Instructed by the king, they set off, and the star appeared again, the same star they'd seen in the eastern skies, and it led them until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house, saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother, overcome. They kneeled and worshipped him. Then, Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But in a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. Now, fast forward just a little bit here. An angel comes and warns Joseph to take Mary and Jesus to flee as refugees to seek asylum in Egypt right away because Herod wants to kill baby Jesus. So they escape. They become refugees. But the rest of Bethlehem is not so fortunate. Verse 16, Herod, when he realized the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years and under who lived in Bethlehem and the surrounding hills. He determined that age from the information he'd gotten from the scholars. And that's when Jeremiah's prophecy was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace, her children gone, dead, and buried. Hold on, wait a minute. (laughs) That's a part of the Christmas story? I mean, this is crazy. Every little boy under age two gets murdered by the Roman army? I mean, it's enough to turn your stomach, isn't it? And it's enough for us to ask, what? kind of story is God telling here? Because it's not quite a sweet, cozy little story, is it? See, the setting for this story is much more dangerous, much more treacherous. The stakes very, very high. The situation incredibly grave. I mean, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head Well, that's not exactly the whole story, is it? In fact, I I think the setting for the Christmas story wasn't safe at all. And if you here familiar with the Lord of the Rings movies at all, 
Um, the, the land of evil is called Mordor, Mordor, this land of evil that they have to enter into. So I combine kind of that picture, and I think that the Christmas story probably looked a lot more like this scene here. It's this picture of that land of evil, and, and now just drop the manger into it, right? That is more accurate spiritually to what was going on. Like, does that change things for you, the image of what's actually going on when Jesus uh, comes? Because I believe that's far closer to, to what's going on here in the story of this, you know, babe in the straw. No, no, no. There's a war going on, and the rescue is just beginning. See, this is not simply Mary had a baby, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay, you know, cows moo and sheep ba and camels, I don't know, spit. Um, it was very sweet and gentle. It was, it was a silent night. All is calm. All is Wait a minute, calm, right? Are you kidding me? Okay, yes, maybe in the physical realm that scene was going on. But again, friends, much, much more is happening here in this story. See, the birth of Christ was an amazingly tender act of love, yes, but the birth of Christ was also an act of war. Now, have you ever thought of Christmas this way before? Like, I'll confess that probably for the first decade of my ministry and, and preaching through Christmas time, that thought had never occurred to me that Christmas is an act of war. By the way, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, Doug, aren't we talking about peace? Isn't that the theme for this week? So hang on, we'll get there, I promise, right? But Christmas is an act of war against the powers of evil and the enemy. Listen to how the Apostle John describes this war in Revelation chapter 12. He puts the heading, the woman, her son, and a dragon in the message translation. And it says, a great sign appeared in heaven. And let your imagination go with this, friends. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman dressed all in sunlight, standing on the moon, crowned with 12 stars. She was giving birth to a child and cried out in the pain of childbirth. Then another sign along the first, a huge and fiery dragon. It had seven heads and ten horns, a crown on each of the seven heads. With one flick of its tail, it knocked a third of the stars from the sky, dumped them on the earth. The dragon crouched before the woman in childbirth, poised to eat up the child when it came. The woman gave birth to a son who will shepherd all nations. Her son was seized and placed safely before God on his throne. The woman herself escaped to the desert to a place of safety prepared by God. All comforts provided for her for 1,260 days. War, it says, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but were no match for Michael. They were cleared out of heaven, not a sign of them left. The great dragon, ancient serpent, the one called devil and Satan, the one who led the whole earth astray, thrown out, and all his angels thrown out with him, thrown down to earth. Then I heard a strong voice out of heaven saying, salvation and power are established. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, the accuser of our brothers and sisters thrown out, the one who accused them day and night before God. They defeated him through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their witness. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. So rejoice, O heavens and all who live there, but doomed to the earth and sea for the devil's come down on you with both feet. He's had a great fall. He's wild and raging with anger. He hasn't much time, and he knows it. Skip ahead here a few verses, and it says, Next, 
about the enemy. Helpless with rage, the dragon raged at the woman, then went off to make war with the rest of her children, the children who keep God's commands and hold firm to the witness of Jesus. What a crazy scene. I mean, granted, this is out of Revelation, right? But, but you don't see that one on Christmas cards, do you? Right? Can you imagine sending those cards to your friends and family? You know, there's a dragon in battle chasing a pregnant woman on the cover. You flip it open, it says, season's greetings. May your Christmas be warm and cheery, right? <laughs> but the truth is that scene there in Revelation 12 pulls back the curtain to give us a glimpse of Christmas as it looked from somewhere far beyond our galaxy. See, this is the viewpoint of Christmas from God's viewpoint, which is a rescue mission in a long and bloody war. That's what Christmas is. See, the peace that the Father gives us comes at a price for him. Again, remember the bigger story. Humankind being attacked by the enemy, but the Father sends Jesus then to fight for us, to bring us salvation and freedom and peace. See, that revelation account differs radically from the stories in the Gospels. Philip Yancey points out that the Revelation version of the Christmas story doesn't mention shepherds and a baby king. Rather, it pictures that dragon that we read about leading a ferocious struggle in heaven. He summarizes it by saying, it's a woman clothed with the sun and wearing a crown of 12 stars. She cries out in pain as she's about to give birth. Suddenly, the enormous red Red dragon enters the picture, his tail sweeping a third of the stars from the sky, flinging them to earth. He crouches hungrily before the woman eager to devour her child. The moment it's born, at the last second, the infant is snatched away to safety. The woman flees into the desert, and an all-out cosmic war begins. Now listen, Revelation is just a strange book, no matter how you slice it. And we can't really delve into the whole content here in one sermon. But in the style of how the book of Revelation was, was written, um, John, who was a disciple, a friend of Jesus, um, he was the author of Revelation. But what he does, John shows us both what's going on in the visible realm, what we can see, and he shows us what's happening in the spiritual, the in, unseen realm. He shows us both. He pulls back the curtains. And usually we just see, you know, one of the realms. We just see, you know, the stuff that we can see physically with our eyes, right? But in the book of Revelation, we get to look at them together. Kind of gives us this quick look behind the scenes at the cosmic impact of what happens here on earth, right? So on earth, what we see is a baby is born, and a king got wind of it, and a chase ensued. But in heaven, a great invasion had begun, a daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. So while the manger scene was going on, John in Revelation 12 gives us this picture of the story of what's happening from the spiritual realm. And from this perspective, the curtain is pulled back. We get a glimpse of the war that has been raging between God and the enemy. And so when we read with that perspective, it makes more sense to us, especially the part about the children being killed, the boys, right? And this fallen world that we live in where there's so much pain, there's so much confusion, there's anxiety and disappointment. But when we begin to see that there's more going on that meets the eye, it gets a bit clearer. We still can't explain why the entire population of baby boys gets slaughtered in Bethlehem. But 
when we remember that there is a war raging, we are less surprised at the agony that unfolded. It still grieves our hearts, but we do know that evil like that happens whenever the enemy is involved. See, God is at war with the powers of evil. But this wasn't just a a battle that was happening in the heavens and it just happened to spill over to earth. Um, Because we have to remember what the battle was even over. The battle, right? See, we think back to the story that God engaged in. See, the hero of the story, God, is coming to rescue his people. Again, the The coming of Christ was an act of war and an act of love. It was both. The coming of Jesus is a rescue. See, Jesus has come to rescue you, to ransom your heart, to set you free to be the partner with God in the story that God is writing in the kingdom of God. And he does this rescue because he loves you so much. See, he has come to offer you Peace, like peace that we could actually experience in the middle of incredible storms. The the peace that the Apostle Paul says passes all comprehension. And friends, in the world that we live in, that's saying something, isn't it? Author J.B. Phillips writes kind of what he imagined the birth of Christ to look like from the perspective of the spiritual realm of, of angels and demons in his story the fantasy um, he has a scene where a senior angel is showing a very young angel around the brilliance of all the universe and beyond and they view whirling galaxies and blazing suns and then they flit across infinite distances of space until at last they enter one particular galaxy the one we call the Milky Way 500 billion stars As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to the circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a very small and insignificant sphere, turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the glory and size of what he had just seen up until this moment. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger, well, it looks rather small and dirty to me, said the little angel. What's, what's special about that one? See, because to the little angel, earth didn't seem impressive. And he listened in shocked disbelief as the senior angel told him that this planet, small, insignificant, and not overly clean, was the renowned visited planet. And the little angel said, do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why would he do a thing like that? Said the little angel as his face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? Answered the senior angel, I do. And I don't think that he would like for you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For as strange as it might seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked almost blank. Such a thought was 
almost beyond his comprehension. And it's almost beyond my comprehension too. Because this story of Christmas, the the cozy Bethlehem story and this act of war story are one and the same. It's a story like no other. It's the story of your rescue, of your ransom by a God that loves you so much he would not abandon you to the enemy. See, friends, listen, Jesus didn't come and invade against where the enemy had authority here on earth. He didn't come to be diplomatic with evil. He came to set the captives free, to set the captives free. And he came so that we could experience love and freedom, that we could experience peace. Friends, listen, um, Jesus is still fighting for you. He's still the hero in your story and mine. I mean, in our lives, I know for many of us, if we pay attention at all, the enemy is just whacking away at you day and night because, because the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to take you out. But Jesus doesn't just sit there, right? The enemy wants to take away any sense of peace. The enemy wants to capture our hearts with sin or addictions or discouragement or bitterness or anger to take you out of the battle, to get you to lose heart. But friends, Jesus is fighting for you. He's not only the warrior, the hero in the grand story, he is the warrior, the hero in your story as well. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, he's come to set you free to rescue you because you matter deeply to the heart of God. And so Christmas is where God took the greatest risk ever and sent Jesus as a helpless baby so that one day you and I could have life, that we could be free, that we could have peace. Philip Yancey again, he asks a powerful question when he writes, how did the father God feel that night? Helpless as any human father, as he watched his son emerge smeared with blood to face a harsh, cold world. Lines from two different Christmas carols come to mind. One, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, seems to me a sanitized version of what took place in Bethlehem. I I imagine that Jesus cried like any baby the night he entered the world, a world that would certainly give him much reason to cry as an adult. But the second line, a line from O Little Town of Bethlehem, that one seems as profoundly true today as it did 2,000 years ago, where it says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so what are your hopes, friends? What are your fears? The the secret hope that maybe somebody would love and accept you just as you are. How's that holding up these days? How's that hope working? Or or, or the, the hope that you're maybe barely in touch with, that you are valuable, that you are a treasure to someone, that you are worth fighting for. Is is that hope alive in you? Or, or, or the 
hope that finally, one day, one day, you might experience some of the peace that Jesus offers. Do you have any hope of that? Or is it growing dim in the face of all the trials and disappointments that you're facing these days? And you hear this theme of peace and you go, really? (laughs) Peace? Uh, Yeah, yes. See, because the rescue mission of Jesus makes it possible for you and I to experience peace, real peace. Peace that, that we can experience in the middle of incredible storms. Again, that peace that the Apostle Paul calls a peace that transcends comprehension. Worship team, will you come? See, friends, the good news of the gospel is far greater than we had first hoped. (laughs) Like the Christmas story and the story at large, it's not just a story that, you know, God comes as a baby and then he dies on a cross so that if you say the right prayer that you get to go to heaven when you die. Uh, No, the story is much greater, much grander than that. He has come to redeem you, to restore you. Christ was born to rescue you, to offer you his peace. And you are deeply, deeply loved. Deeply loved. He has come to release and set you free. And can you hang on to that this week? To remember the truth that Jesus has come to rescue you, to fight for you. And so, whatever place you find yourself today, maybe you're captive to to habits or hang-ups or addictions that just keep dogging you, things we talked about last week, all that stuff, hey, he's come to set you free. Uh, Maybe you're blind in some area. Maybe you're spiritually confused. Jesus wants to restore your sight. And if you are someone who is oppressed and exploited or demoralized or beaten, he has come to release you. See, if you've been in a battle for your very soul, he is here and he has come to give you life and to give you a new heart. See, Christmas is a story, both for those of us who have been Christians a long time because it's an invitation to wake up to who he is and what Jesus is doing so that we don't forget but it's a story for people who are just coming in to realize that this is more than just a story at a seasonal time of the year. This is a rescue of your heart. So as we move into this song, I want you to consider these questions, both now and through your week. Where is it that you need to experience his rescue? Where in your life? Just between you and God, give yourself some time, a moment here. Where is it that you need to experience his rescue. And the other question, where do you need his peace to guard your heart and mind? Like, where, where do you ask him? Where do you need him to fight on your behalf, to lift the weight of the battles that overwhelm you? Like, think of the situations where you need his peace, and then this week, just ask him for it. Because the promises in Scripture, friends, are true. And when he offers us peace and joy and life and hope, it's not just a cliche on a, on a written piece of thin paper. <laughs> um, these are real promises from the heart of God to you and me. Will we dare believe that peace is available, that love is available, that hope is available, that freedom and restoration are available? Will we dare believe that those things are true? Let your heart be with Jesus 
as we sing this next song together.